there are many things that we experience in life and whilst we may have a basic appreciation of what's happening the truth is we don't really understand the half of it think about taking a flight on an airplane for example from the moment you check your bag in at the desk there are all kinds of processes that swing into action to get you and that bag to your destination unless you're Ellie flying with Lufthansa but that's a different story you can ask her about that but there's an infrastructure there's dozens of systems and procedures about which you remain largely ignorant an army of people preparing the aircraft for takeoff and even taxiing to the end of the runway without crashing into something requires a finely tuned network of communication once airborne there are a ridiculous numbers, number of systems working continuously and invisibly for the most part. Up at the pointy end, inside the wings, beneath your feet, above your head. All of them keeping you in the air and hopefully pointing you in the right direction. We don't even know about most of it, let alone understand it. But the experience of the journey is absolutely real when you first become a christian it's a lot like that there's so much to it that at the time we don't really recognize it we don't understand it but our conversion experience is nevertheless completely real and genuine of course there are also false experiences which fool people into thinking that they're saved when they're not now as we continue on our walk with christ we're vulnerable to being misled by false teaching and of course many false teachers don't even realize that what they're teaching is false but one of the main antidotes to being misled and one of the things that we need in order that we can grow is a true knowledge of what salvation really is. And as we grow, we start to understand what it was that God actually did back then and what it is that God is still doing now. And a proper understanding of those things, God will use to help keep us and hold us in the faith because we begin to understand and appreciate God's hand and part in all of these things both then and now and for the future in the bible God lifts the lid if you will on many of those things that he's working in us by his spirit so that we can understand what it is that he's done for us through Christ and in us through his spirit both in order to bring us to faith but also to keep us in the faith of the gospel and that we're kept in the right thing and that we're kept on the right path so this series is examining some of these great truths or doctrines as we sometimes call them and this morning we're going to be examining something that I've referred to several times already in this series and mentioned a couple of times last week. 
but it's worthy of having its own uh, sermon, its own uh, deep look at and uh, its own examination. It's worthy of being opened up further. Several weeks ago, I used the picture of an old battered car which had been bought back by its original owner who not only saved it from the scrapyard but lovingly restored it and made it completely new. You've heard me quote verses such as these from the Bible. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. Even when we were dead in trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ. Last week, we remembered that Jesus said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God, as we read again this morning. And Peter says in his first epistle that we're born again through the word of God. So last week, we considered that life-giving call that Jesus issued. We looked at the example of Lazarus lying cold and rotting in the tomb. And that God today is doing the same thing for us as he calls us from being dead sinners to newness of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a little time this morning to think about this whole issue of being raised to new life. Our being born again. What actually takes place? What happens to dead sinners that changes them into living saints. Well, first of all, let's remember that God is active. We are passive. Now, we've already touched on this a little as we've been going through, but it's really important to remember that when it comes to our being born again, it is all entirely the work of God. When Jesus talked with Nicodemus about being born again, as we read from John 3, he was completely misunderstood by Nicodemus. I suppose it's not that surprising. What? Go back to my mother's womb and be born again. Of course, that was not what Jesus meant. But if you think about that process of natural birth for a moment, you can ignore the messy bits, What's it like for the baby compared to the mother? Of course, none of you remember the experience of being born. But I don't think it was anything like as traumatic for you as it was for your mum. In fact, she did all the work. Uh, we've got a couple of midwives here this morning. A few other medical people. Uh, forgive me if I'm getting this wrong scientifically, but the mum does all the work. The baby's pretty passive in the whole process. And those of you who've been through it, ladies, remember it all too well. 
And what we discover is that as the Bible speaks about us needing to be born again, it's abundantly clear that it is only something that God can do for you. There are well-known verses in the Old Testament, some of which we've already mentioned in this series, which speak openly and clearly about our need of God's activity in us. So do you remember David pleading for God to do something in him in Psalm 51? Because it's obvious to David that what he needs, he can't do for himself. And so we hear David saying things like, blot out, wash me, cleanse me, purge me, make me, create in me, renew within me, restore me, uphold me, deliver me. At least 10 topics where David acknowledges that only God can supply what it is that he needs. Only God can bring about the change that David sees needs to take place inside him. Very soon in our evening series in Ezekiel, we'll be at chapter 36, where God declares what he does in the lives of sinful people. What he does. I will give you a new heart. I, says God, will put a new and right spirit within you. That's exactly what David was praying for. I'll take out that stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. You'll start to live the way you're supposed to live. You'll begin to live the way you were created to live. And you'll keep my judgments and you'll be doers of my word, not just hearers. God does it. Only God can. As the Apostle John begins to write down his gospel record, he produces in those opening verses of chapter 1 of John's gospel under the inspiration of the Spirit, some of the most glorious statements and affirmations regarding Christ and also the people's response to Christ. Some of the most wonderful things you'll find anywhere in the Bible. And within all of that, John states that all who believe on Christ only do so because they were born, but not of blood, not talking about human birth nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man it's not something that you can just decide to do and will to do it but of God born of God another, another of the apostles James states that God the father of his own will brought us forth by the word of truth and we have a great example of it. As Luke, as he writes down the Acts of the Apostles at chapter 16, takes us down to the riverside in Philippi. And there's Lydia praying. And Paul goes down. He sees her with a, with a group of women. And he preaches the gospel. And Lydia opens up her heart. No, she didn't. She didn't. Why didn't she? 
She can't. No one can. No one can open up their own hearts to Christ. It's impossible. The Lord opened her heart, it says. The Lord did it. Then she believed. Then she trusted. God moved first. And then she was able to heed the things spoken by Paul. Then it started to make sense. Then she knew she needed to respond. Because the Lord opened her heart and everything changed. Within what is known as Reformed theology, that's the view of the Bible that we hold to as a church this idea that it is God's activity alone which brings about the new birth sometimes gets referred to as irresistible grace. And this phrase actually brings together the effectual call that we looked at last week and this teaching of the new birth. It brings these two things together. And these two doctrines together explain what it is that God does to enable any sinner to respond to the gospel. But not only are they enabled, the change that God works in their life results in them being drawn irresistibly to him in repentance and faith. Now, it's not irresistible grace in the sense that people are forced into belief against their wishes. That's not what God does. Previously, their nature could not and would not accept the gospel. They're incapable. They don't have the spiritual life within them to be able to do it. But God does a remarkable work in them. And he brings them to spiritual life. And he gives them a nature that can respond to the gospel. But more than that... They have this inner compulsion that drives them willingly and gladly to Christ. Listen to Jesus in John chapter 6. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So you have these two things working together. You have the Father drawing and you have the, the, the sinner coming. The Father is drawing but the sinner is also coming, but the sinner's coming willingly and of their own volition. Why? Because God has changed them and he's drawing them. And they see now that this is the only, the only possible response. Therefore, everyone who's heard and learned from the Father comes to me and sinners come to Christ because of this great change that he has brought within them. But how can you know for certain? How can you be sure that you've been born again? How can you be absolutely sure that you are one of these made alive ones? 
having this kind of assurance or lacking it is something familiar to lots of Christians. But you see, because of what it is that God actually does within you, you can actually examine yourself and see that you are in the faith. Because that change that God does in someone as they're born again, it produces certain things. And you can know. You can know. Well, I want to mention two of them this morning. There'll be other things that we'll mention as we continue through this series that will help you. If you're a Christian, they will help you in assurance to know. But here's two for this morning. Being born again produces a necessary change of heart and nature. If you've been born again, you get a new heart and a new nature. You remember those words spoken by David in Psalm 51, the things promised by God in Ezekiel. If God truly answers prayers like that one prayed by David, and if God really does give you a new heart, then you cannot remain the same. Can you? You can't. Now, it does remain something of a mystery as to what it is that God actually does within us and how he does it. Much of that is known only to God himself. But the effects of it will always be evident when it's been a reality. The effects of it will always be there if it's been a reality. We read in John 16 that the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and righteousness. Now that's not how things were when you were lost and dead in your sins. If you're born again, you know what it means to be convicted of sin. And you realise what the implications are of being in your sin and standing one day before a righteous God. And the, the implication of that is clear to you now if you've been born again. And when you hear verses like some that we read the other week from Romans 3, Romans chapter 3, when you hear verses like this, listen again. There is none righteous, not one. There's no one who understands. There's none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside. They've together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, not one. Now, if you've truly been born again, you no longer fight against that kind of truth like you used to. You're no longer insulted or offended by truth like that, like you used to be if you've been born again. You read words like that, and you find you can only do one thing. And that is just humbly bow your head before the Lord and say, yes, that's me through and through. If you've been born again. But something else has happened. 
if you've been born again, you see in Christ God's salvation and love for you. And you love him in return if you've been born again. You respond to him. He is drawing you and you, you just have to go to him because you've been born again. You discover that your whole being is no longer set against God as you used to be. Consider verses such as these from Ephesians and Colossians. The new person which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. That's one who's been born again. Is that you? The new person who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Now, you know, that's describing me. That's what God has done for me. That's, that's me. You're spiritually alive to God now. And you have a nature which is after his own nature, not against it, like you used to be in your sins. You have a nature which is open to his truth, not closed to it as you were when you were dead in trespasses and sins. You have a nature now which is in agreement to the gospel and a mind that comprehends the person and work of Christ like you never did before. You have a mind which understands God's truth. In fact, the Bible explains what's actually happened as part of that nature that God gives you when you're born, born again. He actually writes his law in your heart. Now, most of you probably weren't told that when you were converted at the time, but that's what God was doing. So, you sit down and you open your Bible at Psalm 119. And as you read these words, something begins to stir within you. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You've commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Yes, you say. This is me. I know I don't do it like I should. And I can see I've got such a long way to go still. But this is me. That's what God's word means to me now. If you've been born again. Because you've been given this completely new nature. Well, there are many other things from the Bible I could go through with you. But I think I've covered enough for now to get that point across. God has done something remarkable within you and changed you completely. But do remember something very important. This change in nature is not something that you can produce or replicate yourself. 
What does Jeremiah ask? Can anyone change the color of their skin? Can the leopard change his spots? This new nature is that which God creates in you by his spirit. This new nature is what defines you as one who is now a born-again Christian. So how is it with you this morning? With all that we've covered so far, the scriptures that we've read, you should be increasingly certain right now where you stand before God. Is this you? Have you heard his call? Have you heard his call? Are you born again? Well, here's one final point for this morning. And maybe this also will help if you're struggling with this issue of assurance. It produces a new nature, a new heart, a new mind, a new way of thinking, God's way of thinking. But it also produces an unmistakable change of life. If you've been born again, it produces an unmistakable change of life. When you start reading through the Gospel of Matthew, as you get to chapter 5, you begin to read three consecutive chapters of the Lord Jesus Christ teaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with a, se- a section of verses which we call the Beatitudes at the start of chapter 5. And in that teaching, in those, across those three chapters, Jesus provides example after example of how the life of the Christian is to be distinct and different. Because if you've been born again, it produces an unmistakable change of life. And throughout his letters, the Apostle Paul reminds his readers of the very stark contrast that should exist between how they formerly lived before they were saved and how they're living now in union with Christ because they're united to Christ. I quoted earlier from verse 24 of Ephesians 4. Let me just go back a few verses in that chapter. You've not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man. Put off the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind it's an ongoing thing it keeps happening and put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness well in a few weeks we'll be looking at the fact that this is an ongoing process in the life of the Christian as we grow We call it the process of sanctification and we'll consider that after Easter. The point to grasp today is that if God is at work in your life and if he has brought about this new birth within you, nothing can stay the same. Nothing does stay the same. 
because God has brought this glorious work of grace to bear upon your soul. It's not wrong to think of the Christian life as a type of duty. But there's duty and there's duty. It's your duty to pay your taxes. But how many of you only do it because you know you'd be in big trouble if you didn't? Duty is doing the right thing simply because it's the right thing. But there's more to duty than that. It's the duty of a mother to feed her baby. But how many mums actually think of it as a duty? It is a duty to feed your baby, but is it a duty? Why does it not feel like a Well, maybe occasionally it feels like a real chore when you're trying to shovel that food into the toddler who refuses to open the mouth, but why does it not, when you've got an infant in your arms, why does it not feel like a duty to feed them, even though it is a duty? It's because that duty is so motivated by love. It doesn't feel like it. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian response to Christ. Because it is a duty. But it's so motivated by love for the Savior, it doesn't feel like it. It's exactly what John wrote in his first epistle. John was really, really anxious on the issue of Christian assurance. He uses the word no, K-N-O-W, probably more time than any other writer. Just in his first epistle, he uses the word more than 30 times. Because you can know, you can know, you can know. He says this, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves him who begot, that's the father, if you love the father, also loves him who is begotten of him, that's Christ, the son. So you love the father, you love the son. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. That's a duty. And, he says, because love is the motive, his commandments are not burdensome. To obey God is a duty. But if you're truly born again, it doesn't feel like a duty. Why? Because your heart is so overflowing with love for God. You do it because you love him. Not because he's hitting you with a big stick. You love him. Because you've been born again. And everything's changed. 
And your heart's desire is to keep God's commandments because you love him. There's an unmistakable change of life in the Christian because God has put a new heart and a new nature within them. And there's a new found love for God. And why would they not live in joyful obedience to him? A group of businessmen were looking to buy a ramshackle old warehouse down on the docks. And the property agent was showing them round and began to make some suggestions about how that old warehouse could be renovated. Renovate? Came the reply. You can't renovate something as far gone as this. No, no, no. This old thing's coming down. And we're going to build something brand new. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. Have they for you?